Good morning, everyone. I, uh, I think it's well to make some preliminary remarks about why we're returning to some review of our study guide that we've used for the past three years. First, I want to remind you of some remarks made by the Apostle Paul on a very significant occasion. He says, as you remember, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, he says, watch and remember. And that is to be the uh, basis of our thinking as a background in connection with what we are reviewing. The, that was an admonition, a warning to the brethren in the second half of the first century, to the Ephesian elders. It was intended for the whole Christian community of that time. But it has become most applicable to our present generation in the second half of the 20th century and will be, as we say, the basis of our review and discussion of some selected lessons from this study guide which we began three years ago. We can now discuss them more meaningfully in the light of what has presently, is presently alarming developments in the Christadelphian Brotherhood. Sunday before last, Brother Terry Smith gave us a very fine review of some things that are going on, and the Sunday school lesson last Sunday bore on those things. But actually, the reunion effort that is coming to a sort of crisis in our generation on this continent began over 30 years ago when reunion began again to be agitated in California by a brother now deceased and was was uh, supported by others. It had been stimulated by a reunion that had been that had taken place in 1954 and 55 in Britain, and it was hoped that one could take place in this country patterned on that one. Brother L. E. Parker and I, as members of the Advocate Committee were approached for support of that reunion effort, which we could not do, but instead we had to challenge those efforts in West Coast activities, their Bible schools, and in other places. But this agitation spread quickly from California across the country to the, the East Coast. and was taken up by certain brethren in the East, 
specifically Brother Maurice Wubbles, Brother Herman Opitz, and Brother Tony Giordano. These three all later became the key directors of what is today called the Williamsburg Christadelphian Foundation, known as the WCF. When I moved back east in the late 1950s, Brother Paul Safford and I, again as members of the Advocate Committee, were approached at the New England Bible School in particular by these three brethren I've mentioned, trying to get our support for a reunion patterned after the British agreement. But we could not agree to do that. And when we were likewise approached in Canada on a certain visit, we also opposed it, as we recognized it required compromise of first principle doctrines that we could not make. Our opposition has since been justified fully by what has taken place. Now, as this agitation progressed, it was revealed the differences between ourselves and the amended brotherhood were far more serious and fundamental than the subject that they emphasized, that is, resurrectional responsibility of the enlightened rejecter. And as the recent newsletter which most of you have received, points out they concern the nature of man, the nature and sacrifice of Christ, the efficacy and purpose of baptism, covenant relationship, and to some extent, fellowship. future newsletters will be forthcoming. But most of you who received this saw a form on the back which read, if you wish copies of further newsletters, it will be necessary for you to request each one individually by filling out the short form that will appear at the end of each letter. Here it is down here by filling in your name and address and mailing it to the address shown on each form you will be assured of receiving further newsletters to be sent out by the Committee of Concerned Brethren and the form says I'm interested in the work of your committee is trying to accomplish and as a result of my definite interest I wish to receive the next issue of the committee's newsletter now if you fill that out and send it in you'll get the next issue if you don't you didn't you won't it the next issue is to be forthcoming about October 6th and among other things will include uh, a, uh, a more specific treatment of the nature of man to start with in the comparison with what we should believe in, uh, in connection with what is being taught we believe erroneously. So, as I say, those of you who sent that back, you'll receive one. 
Now, I don't mean here to overlook the fact that in the September issue of, I don't believe I have it, of the Advocate magazine was a very good editorial at the beginning setting forth briefly a treatment of the respective positions on these same subjects that I have mentioned that uh, uh, appear to be irreconcilable. And we recommend, however, a very close study of, of that issue of the Advocate by those of you who have it, as it will enlighten you, especially on the subjects of covenant relationship and of, of uh, the divergent views on resurrectional responsibility. There's an excellent treatment of it there, as well as on other matters. So we recommend a close study of that in connection with what we're going to do here. Now, since this Williamsburg Christadelphian Foundation, since those brethren we have mentioned came into the matter with the additional purpose of bringing segments of the Church of God of Abrahamic faith into fellowship without due regard for fundamental differences between us and the Church of God, another group calling themselves Christadelphians for Unity, CFU for short, with a new initiative, they say, has arisen, which is aiming at the same purpose as the WCF. And the objectives of this CFU group are merging more and more with the WCF. And it's to be noted that the sons of some of the WCF directors are the organizers and promoters of the CFU movement. There is, as you probably also know, a meeting to take place in Rockford, Illinois in late November to seek to promote this. But I can tell you this, which may turn out to do two things. We're now looking into the future, therefore it's a maybe. The amended conservative group, as well as us unamended conservatives, are taking our respective positions against the movement of the CFU group. There are three from the amended and three from the unamended on that, in that steering committee. And there is a rising upsurge of opposition to what they're trying to do. So it may be, that is particularly with the introduction of the CFU, uh, the uh, Church of God of Abrahamic Faith into the matter. And this is not generally known, but the amended have written to England to Brother, uh, Brother Alfred Nichols not to come to this country with his associates to support this kind of situation. So it may be 
the November meeting will be far less uh, resultant in a general trend to the amended position. Two things can occur. One is these, these brethren who compose and are so objective in attempting to have reunion, they may be very discouraged as a result of things that transpire between now and late November. And may back away from their position. However, on the other hand, they appear to be so determined and persistent and so near in their own estimation the accomplishment of their goals for reunion, they may not give up, but may, as a result of their desire to do what they want, they may form, as they have indicated, a third fellowship with all the grief and calamities which can come out of that in ecclesias, in families, among children of believers who are being led astray, and by the way the, the second letter of this newsletter will outline some of the uh, things which may occur and they'll make very interesting reading to you. I have them here, but we won't go into that now. We've said enough. So, to terminate this point, we can realize that in this second half of the 20th century, just as in the second half of the first century, we are faced with the fact that of our own selves have man arisen, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. We are faced with the same problems as was the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, and Paul's warning words to watch and to remember is very timely for us. So we shall approach this review with that warning in mind. Now, would anyone else care to comment, ask questions, or contribute on this point? We've tried to clarify some of the things that are developing. Well, I assume that what we've said has helped you to realize some of the things that we need to watch and to remember. So let's take our book and turn right over the, the cover. And inside the front cover, we're going to read the foreword, which contains some very uh, appropriate warnings as well. Christ was moved to ask on one occasion in Luke 18, 8, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find the faith on the earth. I'm quoting now from the Diaglot, which renders it in that way. The faith. And we believe that's the faith we have adhered to through the years. The words of Christ do not preclude acceptable faith from being in evidence at his advent. 
They do suggest, however, that during the period immediately preceding his return, it will be difficult to maintain and exhibit the faith taught by him and espoused by the apostles at his first coming. That fact has been understood by brethren of Christ for many years, but the reason for it has only emerged in comparatively recent times. It was originally thought that it would be due to physical persecution, and that possibility should not be ruled out for the future if the Lord delays his coming. But for the present, it has taken on much more stealth and subtlety than that. Instead of persecution or rejection, there is so much tolerance on the part of our associates, some of them, we'll say, that we may be inclined to disregard the fact that we should be first century believers who are living in the 20th century. There is the ever-present danger that we will fall into the entrapment of allowing our spiritual values to be determined by the more by the standards of a permissive society than by the faith of which Christ spoke. And, and those are, that, that's a very important sentence. I'm going to read it again. There is the ever-present danger that we will fall into the entrapment of allowing our spiritual values to be determined more by the standards of a permissive society than by the faith of which Christ spoke. We need to be reminded of our true responsibilities often, as it is to this end that these lessons are submitted and will be reviewed. Now, may they, with God's help, assist us all in our efforts to strengthen those things which remain and to continue faithful until the coming of our Lord. Any remarks anyone wish to make on that reading? Very serious matter to think about. If not, we'll turn over the page to lesson one, entitled, A Changing World. And those of you who've lived within the last 20, 25 years know that the world we're living in right now, about, right now, bears little resemblance to the quiet times of 20, 25 years ago that we thought then were so uh, difficult. A changing world. We're going to first look at what would have been a memory verse, which would have been used, you would have been familiar with, had we had the time to alert you to what was to be considered today. But I'll read that memory verse. It's in 1 Timothy 4.16. It'll be referred to later in the lesson. And Paul's admonishing to Timothy as an individual is to us as individuals. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. 
continue in them, that is the teachings or doctrines, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Do we need that admonition today? Hmm? Anybody say we don't? Well, I assume then we all understand what we need. So we look at this introduction first. With the phenomenal change in the social, cultural, economic, industrial, and educational aspects of the last decade or two, it is not strange that there have been pressures brought to bear upon the moral values as taught in the scriptures or even the standards observed by Christendom for hundreds of years. Have we, as Christadelphians, been ignorant for lo these many years of what is right and wrong? Do we require an awakening, a modern approach, a change, so that we can reconcile our moral standards to those standards being advocated and practiced by our contemporaries? That's a good question. The answer is obvious. The following exposition from Eureka, Volume 2B, page 244, may well set the tone for this series of lessons, which will advocate a reaffirmation of the principles of belief and practice which have been the nucleus of our faith since that faith was brought to light in the 1840s. And the excerpt, exposition is quoted from Dr. Thomas. But in the process of time there, that is the saints' power of resistance was diminished. This was attributable to the testimony of the one body being enfeebled by the admixture of traditions which had crept in and insofar rendered it ineffectual. So what we're seeing has happened before. The pastors whose business it was to keep the light stand well supplied with the golden olive oil of truth were deteriorating in faithfulness and aptitude for teaching. Hence, the light grew dim and smoky, and men did not see their way as in former years. In consequence of this enfeebled perception, their Christian virtue became too easy and tolerant of the traditions of the apostasy. The apostasy had come into being at the time the doctor is referring to and had been in existence, Paul said, it had already begun to work in his day. So it had been in existence for several hundred years, uh, over a thousand. Until at length, their individuality confirmed, converged towards, and was finally lost in the indefiniteness and confusion of the Lutheran and Calvinistic novelties of the 16th century. And the reference is made to uh, Revelation 11:7, but we won't go into this. The doctor is making reference here to an historical situation in which the uh, Huguenots mainly, a uh, Protestant group, were contesting with the Catholic Church against Catholicism. They were taking the sword 
to do so. <laughs> they were, in the Lord's goodness, those of you who have read the booklet, The Protesters, know that there were a few, a very few in Central Europe, who had kept or revived some smatterings of biblical truth. We don't know exactly what they had, but they had enough faith in what they had, many of them, to give up their lives for it. So they had something they valued very highly. And the Huguenots were their protectors against the persecution of the Catholic Church. The Huguenots then are the earth, which is referred to in Dr. Thomas Rick's reference to as protectors. The Catholic Church were the persecutors, and those few protesters were the victims of Catholic persecution at the time of the doctor's historical writing in the 1500s. Now, the fatal termination of their labors is styled in the prophecy, the finishing of their testimony. Their word, having lost its power, the energy of their ancient helper, the earth, that is the Huguenots and those who were willing to take the sword, was enfeebled likewise. Now note this next. When men's hold upon principles is relaxed, they lack that enterprise and force which is necessary for their preservation in this evil world. A worldly and charitable spirit, charitable in quotation, generates indifference by which the pointedness and sharpness of the truth are destroyed. We might add there the doctrines of the truth. The word handled in a worldly spirit is always charitable or tolerant of traditions which make it of none effect. Remember Apostle Paul says, uh, Christ said, by your traditions, speaking to the Pharisees, he says, by your traditions you make void the word of God. And so it is in our generation. By certain Protestant traditions, the word of God is made void. We have tried to avoid those traditions and uh, stick to the doctrines that, our, uh, that Timothy and others was exhorted to hold fast to. And that's one of the reasons if we don't understand those doctrines thoroughly, and be able to defend them, then we are lacking in what we should rise and try to do. We have to understand them in order to, offend, to defend them. And that's the reason for our study. Any further comment at this point? Well, let's go into our lesson. We have a scripture reading first in 2 Timothy, the third chapter which we'll return we'll turn and Paige suppose you begin that reading
Now let's stop right there because those those uh, those verses are very indicative of, of of some kind of a situation that would arise. And he says, in the last days, perilous times. So he's outlining certain facets of these perilous times. Now, what kind of perils are these? Are there perils that uh, when we walk down the street, we're liable to be mugged or run over? Or are they those kind of perils? Spiritual perils. Perils that relate to moral values and to living in accordance with God's Word. Perils that overthrow or disregard previous uh, kinds of, of living that were recognized but have deteriorated and thus those who live in that kind of world are in spiritual dangers if they allow themselves to be influenced by these things. Now you'll notice here, lovers of their own selves, that's selfishness, isn't it? They're looking out after their own uh, desires, and that's all they're conscious of. There's a, there's a statement today that you hear a lot. Everybody wants to do what? Their own thing. Well, that's what it means here, lovers of their own, they're doing their own thing, without regard to what it means to anybody else, or how it affects them covetous, boastful, proud, blasphemers. How often do we hear the, the name of the deity blasphemed in our association with others if we have much? Disobedient to parents. Is that going on very much today? Disobedience to parents? As I observe it and read, we are living in a world of young people highly educated, have every educational opportunity for mental growth, but who are misapplying that to the point of looking down on their less educated parents as, as sort of old fogey people who aren't hip to what's going on, who, 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 need, who, need, to, who need to broaden their perspective who need to listen to their children for guidance rather than other means. That's disobedient to parental rearing. It's hurting many parents to have children like that, I'm sure. But that's a kind of society that is evolving, a society based on the desires of youth, inexperienced youth, who, because they want to do their own thing, in their own way are highly disrespectful and disobedient to parents in a, in a very growing way. And anybody that doesn't recognize that is living in a dream world because that's a world of reality. Without natural affection, turning against those whom they should love. Truth bakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. The first thing I'm told when a, when a student enters a college or a registration today, the first thing is not to think of the, uh, the courses they want to take. It's to get into the right fraternity or sorority. Their social life is to be first thought of. 
And then after that, they think of other social activities they, get, they can engage in, which will satisfy them to do their own thing. That's the first accent they place on college reg registration today. Is anyone here who can't deny who can deny that? There, there are of course individuals who do not respond to that sort of thing. But it's very difficult for a Christadelphian young person to go to college today and not be influenced or drawn into that kind of living. That's the reality of our world. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, that even that is fast slipping away, a form of godliness. God, you remember a few years ago, you cry when I God is dead. That being the case, if a person believed it, they were free to do their own thing, believing what they wanted to, and engage in this changing world that we're living in. What's the admonition to, that Paul makes to the believers regarding that kind of thing? From such, do what? Turn away, it says. Now skipping down to verse 7. Those who, that are involved in this are ever learning. Today there are more educational, higher educational opportunities and more learning in technical skills. Man's gone to the moon and he's now exploring the heavens with his, his uh, rockets. The science has, has advanced men tremendously in their abilities. But has it brought them nearer to God? No. It's taken them away swiftly. And they thus deny the power of God to control their lives. We'll, we'll come to more on that in the lesson. Ever but never able to come to a true knowledge of the truth. Is there anyone who can say we're not living in that kind of world? Let's go on in our reading and see how Paul outlines this in his admonition. Next, next uh, verse 8, please, the next reader. <coughs> it's very descriptive, isn't it, Regina? All right, let's go on. Will there come a time when what we've said here will be changed? Will there come a time? Yes, it, will. it hadn't come in the Apostles' day. They were admonished to watch for it, coming of, of Christ to change all this. It hasn't happened yet. But we're living on, hopefully, the brink of His coming, which will change these spiritually perilous times into times when men will turn to God and take hold of the skirt of him who is a Jew saying we'll go with you for we've heard that God is with you to tell them they do that today you'd be mocked beyond description let's go on
we might remark on that verse that that was true of the brethren living in the first century. Uh, persecution uh, could be could be uh, expected as a result of, of, of departing from the way the world was going, from the pagan world. The pagans turned into very violent persecutors of the Christians as we know historically. And at that time, all who would live godly in Christ Jesus suffered persecution. As uh, the foreword of our study guide said, that may arise, but right, then, right now the spiritual perils of corruption of doctrine is far more uh, a problem than persecution today. We, we come out here, we're very free to worship and say what we want to, provided it's proper, which we will do. But uh, uh, at this time, in Paul's writing, they were all suffering persecution, and it's to be, you're to be reminded that tradition tells us he was beheaded at Rome in the persecutions of Nero. Let's look at verse 13 and see what that tells us will happen. Let's go on. Marks you'd like to make on that reading? There's certainly some solemn warning there and very appropriate admonition, isn't there? Particularly in the last few verses. There are many here, young people. From a child, they have known the Holy Scriptures and those Scriptures are able to do something for them that nothing else will do. What is it? Make them wise unto salvation through faith. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? That's something to promote. That's something to grow in. Right here, it seems to be like a, 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 a trend. 
rather than what the world at large is doing to the household, it's within to the Yes, what you say is true. Of course, we, we must remember, basically, who's he writing to here? He's writing to Timothy, who he's instructing. Timothy was a believer, and he was being given a lot of responsibility. So these instructions are intended for him. And as you say, to recognize things that would happen from within, which would be influenced by the things coming in from without. So he has a dual purpose there, to warn against the world, in which Timothy would find himself to warn us against the world in which we would find ourselves and not to be led away by its influence on our lives, thus keeping our spiritual vision on resisting those who would corrupt and depart from the faith, as, as in 13 evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So the apostle here was writing first to stir up Timothy's pure mind by way of remembrance and to be conscious of the corrupting society, the spiritually perilous times Timothy and believers would find themselves in. What you say there bears very much on that, Brother Jack. different world than when I came into the Christian body over 60 years ago. So, anything more to be added to what we have discussed? It's almost time here. Uh, we might look at the first point in the lesson. Read 2 Peter 3, 3 and also 4. If you'll turn to that. And uh, we find a, a very uh, obvious thing here. Second uh, Peter three, three. Uh, I'll read that. Time's getting away so fast. Knowing this, first, that there shall come in the last days. Now this is the last days. Scoffers, walking after their own desires or lusts. Is that true today? Let's look, let's look at, uh, uh, well, we uh, asked the question here. Does the scoffer deny the existence, veracity, and authority of a creator? Is that what a scoffer does? Yes, we'll find that out in the, in the, next, uh, in the next point. But that is the worldly attitude which, with which we are surrounded today. Scoffing because of ignorance of the Word of God and how it should influence our beliefs and our thinking. And as an outgrowth of that, these spiritual perils are surrounding us from within, and that influence is causing a difficulty to develop within our body. And so we consider these lessons from that, uh, from that standpoint. And uh, the next point says, when mankind establishes norms 
or values, now this is the world, that are at variance with scriptural teachings, what is inferred? So we look at the scripture there, Psalms 14.1, and find what does it say? Somebody ought to be able to quote it. Correct. 